0: I have to thank Ken Quiethawk for that uh, introduction also for doing a little creative writing there at the end. <clears throat> that was not in his script, but um, <laughs> I do thank him for, for an amazing voice. I welcome you all to Nightlight, and tonight's going to be a really fascinating evening. We've got uh, a, a really super guest on tonight who um, is going to share with us some fascinating material. His name is Shepard Hoodwin. He's a resident of California, and he's a channel who specializes in the fascinating Michael teachings about how we set up our lifetimes before incarnation. He's been channeling Michael since 1986, and he also does intuitive readings, mediumship, past life regression, healing, counseling, channeling, coaching, teaching others to channel. And he's conducted workshops on the Michael teachings throughout the United States. He's also the author of, of of a plethora of books on the Michael teachings and spirituality. Uh, the one that I found most fascinating uh, was Journey of Your Soul. But I have to admit, I also had to read Enlightenment for Nitwits just to sort of balance everything out. It's he's got a tremendous amount of material on on the Michael uh, on the Michael stuff, and and his website is just fascinating. His website is Shepherd Hoodwin. S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D Hoodwin H-O-O-D-W-I-N dot com I encourage you all to check it out it's a fascinating um, website and it does give you a lot of information about uh, the Michael material of which I have to admit I was totally ignorant so (laughs) welcome to the show Shepard I expect to be enlightened here
1: (laughs) (laughs) well if you're looking for enlightenment you came to the right place
0: Okay, just, just, just to, to help those who, I mean, everybody's heard of Archangel Michael, and when you say the Michael material, that's where everybody goes. But this Michael material is not that Michael material exactly, correct?
1: Correct, yes.
0: I want to explain just who Michael is.
1: Michael is the name of a group of souls, 1050 who each had a series of lifetimes on the physical plane, just as we're having now. And they're like big brothers and sisters because they're ahead of us uh, in their cycle. And they now work together as a recombined entity from what they call the causal plane. And so they have been channeled under the name Michael since 1973 and there have been quite a number of books out by a number of channels and authors about the Michael teaching since that time.
0: I have to admit that, that one of those authors has been a favorite author of mine forever, and that's Chelsea Quignarbro. Um, I absolutely adore her books on St. Germain and, and wasn't even aware that she, she did, Um, anything with the micro-material?
1: There was a group of friends in Oakland, California, uh, starting in the late 60s, who would get together and explore various spiritual avenues. And two couples uh, were involved in a Gershieff study group starting in 1969 with a man named Robert Burton. And so they did that for a while and particularly one couple, Sarah and Dick Chambers, their home was uh, a gathering place for a number of seekers. And they, they during the 70s, they did everything. This was uh, Northern California, the Bay Area, during the, the height of the human potential movement where things like Esalen were happening. Mm-hmm. And so um, in 1971, in some of their meetings, they would operate a Ouija board. And they started contacting uh, beings. First, they channeled uh, a being who is also on the physical plane, but of another planet uh, named Soleil. And then they started channeling uh, a being from the astral plane, a teacher, like a spirit guide named Tomas. And in 1973, Michael came through and they could tell that it was something different. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they began with the famous words, we are with you tonight. And so they said, well, who are you? And it's funny because often when people start channeling an entity, they want to know a name. And they don't use names. When you're not physical, you don't need names because you're having direct experience of the other soul. And so it's a total no and you don't need that name as a reference. So you'll often hear of people who when they first start to channel demanding a name and the entity being sort of at a loss for what to give them, and then finally they'll break down and say, well, you can call us this or that, but it's not really our name. So -hmm. in the case of the Michael group, uh, they finally said, well, we're a group of 1,050 king and warrior souls, and the last soul in our group to finish his last lifetime on the physical plane during that lifetime had a name... uh, somewhat like your name, Michael. So you could call us Michael. So that's how, that's how they got that name. Uh, but it was, it was arbitrary. They could have chosen anything.
0: Now, according to what I was reading, there are um, a few different people that actually channeled the Michael material. And, but you all seem to be going to the same place for information.
1: Yes. Now, because Michael is a reuniting group of souls, uh, different channels will work with individual members or clusters of members within the larger group. They aren't totally recombined. They aren't totally blended into one consciousness. They are in the process of becoming more and more blended, but they are not all identical. So it's not like the group of 1,050 speak with one voice. Mm -hmm. And so different souls within the michael group uh work with different channels
0: so so if if i went to you and then i went to someone else that channel the michael material as well uh who was a i don't know authenticated channel for michael um would i get the same material
1: you might and you might not uh channeling is a complex process uh there is not a hundred percent accuracy And all of the souls within the Michael group don't necessarily entirely agree on everything. And so um, you would uh, expect the material to be uh, mostly harmonious, but -hmm. you would not expect it to be identical.
0: Well, um, I, I channel myself, so um, I have a little bit of frame of reference on that procedure, but just, just for those who haven't and, 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 you know, just throw that term around, let's get, you know, give me a definition of channels so that we're on the same page.
1: Channeling is a technique for communicating with a non-human intelligence. It can be just about anything. Uh, But generally, it refers to being in touch with teachers on a higher plane of existence. And uh, you can channel words, you can channel energies, healing energies, you can channel through movement like dance or even athletics, Uh, you can channel rhythms, uh, you can channel all sorts of things. But mainly, most people are going to think of words, and they're going to think of energies.
0: Right, and it, you know it's it's fascinating because with me it happened almost overnight. But but you had a different procedure that you went through to get to the place that you were ch- that you channel automatically. So, um, I, because I, I know a lot of people that say, "Well, I want to be a channel," and certainly, it it's like muscles that 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 if you use it enough, it become you become better and better and better at it. So, what was your journey through the channeling process?
1: When I was like 14, uh, my honorary mother took me to a group of little old ladies in a little beach house near where I lived, and they had a seance. And uh, these were just these delightful spiritual seekers that I became friends with, and um, they taught me the idea... That it's possible to go within and be guided by the divine. And I never forgot that. When I was about 21 or 22, my grandmother was giving up her apartment and it fell to me to divide up her uh, furniture and other things between my brother and me. And I was too attached to everything to feel that I could do a good job with it. So I remembered what they had taught me about how you could get divine guidance. And so I thought, okay, I really need to do that here because I don't know, you know which things I should take and which I should leave for my brother. And so I came up with this idea that I would ask God to tell me what to do and I would visualize in my mind a little meter with a needle on it. And if the needle went to the left, it was no, and if it went to the right, it was yes. And so I'd never done anything like this before, Um, and it took a lot of concentration, but for every item in her apartment, I would ask the meter, and I just followed the directions. And uh, this is now 40 years later, and I still have uh, the furniture and things uh, from my grandmother that I treasure. And it turned out that the guidance was very good, because the things that I did take were things that I had room for and that I found useful over the years. And I wouldn't have had room for most of the other stuff. There were three items that I did not ask yes, no about because I just looked at it and I thought, Oh, uh, definitely can use this. And those three things arrived from the movers broken. And I thought, okay, I get the message. (laughs) (laughs) Ask. And so I thought, well, Uh, this is nifty, you know, it's like, oh, you can have God tell you what to do. So I started asking within and I now understand that these were my uh, spirit guides, not maybe God in the highest who is probably not that concerned.
0: uh, Possibly busy elsewhere. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. Right. Um, So I started asking within about everything to really what I now can see was a ridiculous extreme, you know, like, should I go to the bathroom now or should I wait five <laughs> minutes, something like that, you know. But I got very good at talking um, to spirit. And what started happening fairly quickly is that in addition to the yes, no answers, I would get downloads of, of information. And so really before long, I was having conversations with my guides on a daily basis about this and that and it got to be a normal part of my life that really has not changed to this day it's like for me to be in daily constant near constant communication with my guides is is a natural state but i didn't know what channeling was at this point um i was just doing my thing About a year before I started channeling, I started hearing little bits about channeling. I had a friend who um, was dating a woman who did some channeling and I listened to some of her transmissions and uh, they were supposed to have been from extraterrestrials and I didn't know for sure if they were or not, but I thought that the material was beautiful and interesting and I I kept an open mind about it, but I didn't really think much about it. Then um, this same friend was dating a new woman who knew about the Michael teachings. And she told me about this uh, group that she had been involved with in Orinda, California. I was living in New York City at this time. And within a six-week period, um, Michael came through in two other ways. One was a friend that I was going out to dinner with. Now, he, I knew he did psychic readings, and I didn't really know what they entailed. But uh, before we went out, he said, there's a message floating around you. Do you mind if I give you a reading? And I said, no. So um, uh, he channeled this nice information for me. And um, then he kind of floored me because at one point he called me by the name Shalom. Now, my name is Shepard. And when I went to Hebrew school as a child, uh, they gave me the Hebrew name Shalom, and I really didn't think twice about it since that time because I didn't—I wasn't really that into Hebrew school or Judaism. But uh, my friend did not know this, so that really got my attention. And the the entity he channeled said that his name was Michael. And then there was this other synchronicity where um, I flew out to Colorado uh, to go to a conference, and I saw an old friend of mine who's really been in instrumental in a lot of important things in my life. And she had found Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough's first Michael book, Messages for Michael. This was 1986. And she was so excited about it. And she was telling me about how, okay, I'm a scholar, and you're probably a sage soul, and you're probably an acceptance and idealist. And The funny thing was, was that um, a few weeks before when I met My friend's new girlfriend, she had said the same thing to me. Oh, you're probably a sage and you have a goal of acceptance and that sort of thing. So when uh, Pat told me about the Michael stuff, um, I was intrigued and I knew I needed to go find the book. But before I even got to find the book, I was sitting at work one day. It was quiet. The phones were quiet. So I thought, you know, I'm going to find a Michael channel and uh, I want to have my list of questions ready and so I got out a scrap paper and I wrote down a question that I wanted to be sure to ask them. And my pencil got kept moving and I got an answer to it. So I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. And I had, had another question, too. So that the answer came to that. And one of the questions was for Pat. So I sent it to her. Now, I wasn't really shocked by any of this because, as I mentioned, I had been uh, communicating with Spirit nonstop at this point for probably nine years. But, um, I sent one of the, uh, replies to Pat and she said, Oh, good. Ask them this. (laughs) So I said, (laughs) okay. And then a mutual friend said, well, ask this for me. I said, well, okay. And that's how I got, uh, into the, uh, the Michael business.
0: (laughs) Well, that's a good way. I mean, it, 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 literally is spirit was sending it to you and, um, you know, we are in a in a little while. We're going to go into, you know, the the Michael reading to a certain degree. But I also want to in 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 your book Journey of the of your soul, um, there are many places where you know where you're talking, and then you put in um, what you the message that you got from Michael, and and it it clearly is channeled material. There's no doubt about it, and it's full of wisdom and insight and I, for anyone who is seeking enlightenment or seeking um, upliftedness or looking for wisdom that takes you beyond the here and the now, um, this material is, is very appropriate and very good. And it does help you to get a clearer clearer vision of the purpose of lifetimes and and i think that's so so much today what people are looking for they're looking for a greater insight into the who am i and why am i here and what the hell am i doing in this situation or whatever so that the, the the michael material um the the messages from michael certainly um are are uh things that, that I would highly recommend people look at. And again, on your website, there's, there's a great deal of material. Um, and, and I highly encourage people to take a look at it because it is insightful and enlightening. And for me, when somebody is actually channeling wisdom from the other side, almost, um, I, I'm going to say, almost, you know, even though you don't really know the name of, of the source of it, you have a feeling for whether or not it's accurate, whether or not it is is applicable to whatever it is you're looking for. Channel material is actually very – it's easier to feel than it is to see in the written word. If it resonates to you on a spiritual level, then you know you've got something good. And and I really feel that, that a lot of the messages from Michael that, that you had quoted in your, your book, um, Journey of Your Soul, I could relate to. I could I, I felt it, it had – it had a synchronicity and an accuracy that was applicable to me at, in, in the journey that I'm on at this particular point in time.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I've been at it for over 30 years and I still continue to be fascinated and nourished by the Michael teachings. Uh, It helps us understand ourselves and other people, uh, unlike any other system I've ever heard. Uh, you know, um, you'll hear a lot of the same general principles from various spiritual teachings, including various channel teachings. So, for example, you've probably heard the idea, you choose your parents. But with the Michael teachings, they get down to the nuts and bolts of exactly how that happens. And it makes it much more real and specific to us. And you'll hear the principle that uh, we're all perfect, beautiful beings. We're perfect exactly the way we are. We should love and respect each other without judgment and so forth. But in the Michael teachings, we get specific profiles of individuals that explains a great deal about why we are the way that we are very specifically and shows us the, the, the particular matrix of strengths and weaknesses that one person has that others don't. And to understand the dynamics that are going on in that individual uh, makes it so much more vivid when you're seeking to be non-judgmental about someone, where you can see, well, someone is a warrior soul, and the negative pull of that is coercion. And you might think, well, that person's just being an asshole. Um, but you understand that behind that, is this beautiful strength and focus, uh, this ability to get things done and to um, establish order in the whole. And you see that it's really a beautiful thing that maybe at the moment is not finding its highest expression, but you know that it could. And Mm -hmm. so it helps you to not judge that person, but instead see what that person is dealing with and to realize that, I don't have the strengths that that person has. I have different strengths. I have other things that I'm really good at. And you can also see what you're bad at in your Michael chart and understand that it's all by design because nobody's going to be good at everything.
0: Well, and the, the, the fact that we're down here to learn and the only way you learn is through experience and, and often the only way you get experience is when, when you are given... Um, challenges that, that are going to pull you in the direction that your spirit needs to evolve.
1: Will Rogers, uh, the humorist, uh, is the source of one of my all-time favorite quotes. And being sages, we love quotes, don't we?
0: Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> sage, you could, I don't think you'll ever find a sage who doesn't love quotes. And um, when I was like 11 years old, I would get Reader's Digest and I would cut out the quotable quotes and highlight the ones that I liked. This was obviously before the internet. So um his quote is good judgment comes through experience and a lot of experience comes through bad judgment. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: it's true. It's true.
1: In other words you make mistakes and you learn.
0: Yeah and it, that's that's very true and the well the other book that I of course read because how could I not read the um um, enlightenment for nitwit's book because (laughs) that just you know you have to that's
1: Um, my book
0: yes and and i i think it's really important for it's not a fluff off book it's it's it it shows you and it tells you that that this journey is supposed to be a joyful journey and if you can't laugh if you can't experience joy um, at your own expense quite often. But if you, if you can't experience the laughter, then, then the growth doesn't happen and the wisdom makes you boring.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, I think um, enlightenment is related to the word light, and I think lightening up is often a big part of the journey to enlightenment. Mm-hmm. A lot of the greatest teachers have been quite jolly, they laugh a lot. Not all of them, but you you do find that pretty often. That the Dalai Lama always seems to be chuckling and and smiling. And uh, I think um, the greatest sign of an enlightened being is the joy that they have in their life.
0: I would I would absolutely agree with you on that one. I I know that. I found that standing when I spent five years in the pulpit of the spiritualist church and I found that if I was trying to get something really heavy duty over to people, if I could make it, not make a joke of it, but if I could explain how I had screwed up and, and, you know, basically I've already made this mistake, find one of your own. Um, if I could, <laughs> if I could get them laughing at my stupidity, I knew that, that they would hold on to that memory and they would apply it at the right time, you know. It's sometimes if you, if you're so somber and boring, people literally do take naps. Because um, I almost put myself to sleep at least once. So <laughs> it was it was you know Not I was trying trying, to, trying to, yeah trying to be um, you know ministerial. And, and the reality is that's not my mode of teaching. My my mode of teaching is lightheartedness. And as soon as I adapted myself to that mode, I, I knew that, you know, if I could get them laughing, that I, my point was taken or the point that was important for them to be taken. So, yeah, I think that's one of the, the things that, that – every and, and in my experience, almost everybody who is going through this journey of awakening um, – Goes through one of these religious, somber, ritualistic phases where it's all so serious that it's just unbelievable, and and then, then they realize that that's boring, and you know you can still be on this journey and have a good time, and I think that's that's uh, that's one of those phases that when you get to it, it's it's kind of like a, there's a sigh of relief in inside or outside some place where they say she, they finally got it. You can have a good time while you're doing this. This is not something that you have to suffer through. This is not a journey of survival. It's a journey of celebration.
1: There's so much judgmentalness inherent in much of the world's religions and spiritual teachings. And we have internalized profoundly a lot of self-judgment. And so when we get on the spiritual path, we usually continue to carry a lot of that, and we're deathly afraid of doing it wrong. We still believe, uh, if not consciously, in an unconscious way, in a judgmental God. And so we're walking on eggshells, and we're afraid to say the wrong word. And one of the things we get in the Michael teachings that's so marvelous is we realize that um, it's not only okay, but it's good to be human, and that we're perfect in our imperfections, and that all choices are valid because we're going to learn from anything we choose. There are certainly choices that are going to have more pleasant ramifications than others. There are certainly choices that we'll look back on and say, I'm glad I did this and others, where we look back and say, oh, I really screwed up. But whatever we chose, if we simply look at it in an objective manner and say, okay, what do I learn from this? Where was this coming from? How can I do better next time? Then it's all worthwhile. And most of us, when we make bad mistakes, we made them because we really didn't know any better. And so how are we going to know better if we don't make the mistakes? Um, I was certainly uh, very much against Donald Trump winning the presidency but it occurs to me that the people who support him are getting an opportunity to make that choice and to see what happens. And they're, if they learn from that experience, and many won't, but if they're willing to look at it and say, oh, this is what I created. This is what doing this leads to. And if they take that in, and if enough people take that in, then all of humanity uh, will have advanced.
0: hmm Well, I, you know, I, all of our, I I think most people don't understand that life is, it's, it's, it's one great big experience. And, and there's so much to be drawn from, from everything, even from, you know, the grocery store and the post office and stuff like that. It's not something that is restricted, you know, to um, when we're practicing a religious um, endeavor or whatever. I know. Um, I was doing mediumship for a woman once whose husband had passed away. And she said, um, I pray to him every night. And, I, and and when he came through, she said, do you have him? And I said, I do, but I don't think you're going to like this message. And she said, what is it? And he, it was basically, for heaven's sakes, tell her not to pray to me. I'm not a saint. I'm just her husband. I'd like to talk to her about what's going on in her life. And, you know, when I gave her that, she said, you mean he's not a Satan? I said he wasn't here. He's not there. So, so it, it was a matter of of having, letting her have a more uh, relaxed and human connection to the other side. And then several weeks later, she called me and she said, "You know, I'm getting messages from him now that I'm not praying to him." <laughs> and I said, "Well, that's a good thing. I hope he gives you good advice." <laughs>
1: Well, if any of you out there want to pray to me once I'm dead, that's perfectly fine.
0: <laughs> well, you never know. I'm sure that you 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 may have people that that just you know have created a pedestal for you, and you know my only fear of pedestals is they're only meant to be fallen off of, so uh, you know it, it's it's a scary thing to have people think that much of you um, but but once you're gone on the other side, you may have a better perspective of the whole thing. <laughs> I think that
1: a lot of mediums joke that uh, being dead doesn't make you smart; it just makes you dead. So,
0: Mm -hmm. well, and I've often wondered, you know, as a medium, I get to the other side, and I no longer have a, you know, I don't, I no longer have a job. So, you know, it's it's kind of like...
1: You better stick around, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: well, is there another level I can be a medium for? I mean, I get to the other side and, and you know, I am no longer... In, in, nobody needs my services any longer. So it's going to be kind of interesting. It's, it's kind of like I say to myself on occasion, you, you perhaps better evolve other, you know, gifts and talents here because mediumship is going to be out the window once you cross over. Well, when so, you're on
1: the other side, you can be an extra large.
0: I already am, unfortunately, <laughs> an extra large. <laughs> I, you know, when people ask, "Is there a medium in the room?" I, I, you know, I have often said, "Well, I used to be small, and then I was medium, and now I have expanded beyond even that." But it, it, it is, you know, the most. What I find people looking for the most is um and it's fascinating because it's happened only in the last 10 years to be really honest with you that that people are really more focused on their spiritual journeys and and acquiring spiritual wisdom and it's it's more that than it is what it used to be as far as what people were looking when they came for consultation and i find it very heartening that that people are at, are at a place in time here where they realize that that there's a purpose for this lifetime and this journey and there's a purpose for the things that have happened in their lives. And instead of, you know, saying, you know, when am I going to meet my soulmate and when can I divorce my husband and move on to a better life? I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting people wanting to know, okay, I'm on a journey. How do I facilitate this journey? How do I grow within this lifetime to, to achieve what my spirit needs to, to achieve. Are you experiencing anything like that?
1: Well, when I do sessions that are not channeled but are guided, I call them intuitive readings. And I avoided calling them psychic readings because I felt that people tend to associate them with uh, questions about predicting the future, which is uh, really thin ice. I don't think anyone ever actually predicts the future. I think you see probabilities which can change And people can become dependent on that rather than making good choices with the information that's available now and their own intuition and so forth. Um, But yes, I think more and more people are uh, waking up to um, that these outer things are not the bottom line. The bottom line is your internal state. And if you can raise your vibration of your internal state, you are going to have a better life. And that comes from um, observing your thoughts. And are these true thoughts? Are these harmonious with who I am? Uh, am I taking something for granted here that's not true, that's not real, that's not right, that's not an integrity? You get to be more sensitive to your daily life as a spiritual practice, as you said, going to the grocery store and so forth. And you start to notice when you're off, when you know, okay, did I talk too much there? Was I really listening to the other person? Was I as kind as I could have been to that person on customer service or was I getting impatient? The more that we can practice unconditional love in everything that we do, uh, not only is that higher service to the planet, but we're going to be a lot
0: happier too. Oh, yeah. I I, I often often tell people that... um, um, we create our reality by our perception of it. So that, you know, if if you don't like your situation, it's it's your perception that doesn't like it. You can change that perception. And that that ultimately changes your reality tremendously. So it, it's it's getting people to understand that they are in control. That is to, to a great degree I mean I'm there is a, a great master plan type stuff going on here but for the most part we have the ability to shift and change a lot of things in our life that that if they're uncomfortable we can make them comfortable and it's 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 an amazing process to watch people going through this um I I've often um sort of Cringed with the thought of doing a spiritual development workshop class or whatever. And only because I didn't want to sit with people for 10 or 15 weeks and then say, okay, you're evolved, because that's just not the truth. But I'm, I'm finding now that if you give them tools to use, that that they then can either internalize those tools and apply them to their own journey or they can ignore them and and you know just have them in their pocket for next time but but the michael readings seems to be one of those tools yes. that that you give to people you don't you don't tell them you know this is this is so much exactly what your journey is but you give them um explanations as to their essence and their role and and all sorts of overleaves and things like that and i want to go into your explanation of those particular things you did do a micro reading for me and i want to do that in the second hour but um because most of the people that listen to this show have listened to me for a number of years so they really do have a um an understanding kind of 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 me as a person so that so that listening to your perception of what you did for me without actually knowing me at all um, will give them an idea as to whether or not they think it's accurate or whatever. And, and hopefully, I mean, I can resonate to it. So um, I, I'm hopeful that they'll say, oh, yeah, that does sound like Barbara. So, um, but but when you do a Michael reading, just so people understand, um, it's not the kind of reading... You're thinking about it, it's not, uh, you know, you're here and you're going there, or your career is this, or anything like that. That's not what a Michael reading actually is. A Michael reading is is in many ways an explanation as to what your soul came into this lifetime for, and and the tools that you bring with it. Correct.
1: Right. Well, the Michael reading chart is a one page chart that uh, has about 21 pieces of information about you Uh a profile of you as a soul and as a personality and it is simply information that michael dictates from the akashic records it has the terminologies of the michael teachings so for example if you had an astrology chart it would use the categories of astrology it would have your sun your moon your ascendant and so forth. And there are certainly a lot of fine points, but but most astrology charts will at least overlap in having certain kinds of information. Your Michael chart is also like that. It is, it's not astrology, but it is a profile of you as a soul using the terminology of the Michael teachings. Now, I also do uh, live channeling sessions that are Q&As where people ask questions of Michael about anything they want to ask about. And those sessions also, through me, involve a quite intense healing energy work. So that is available. Those are more open-ended. People will ask about relationships, for example. How have I known uh-huh. this person in a past life? What's going on with us now? Um, Where are the strengths and weaknesses of our relationship? Um, they'll ask about their own uh, past lives and uh, what beliefs they have that are holding them back, that sort of thing.
0: And how do you feel that that past lives reflect upon this lifetime?
1: Well, um, they certainly do um, because we're the sum of our experiences in all of our lifetimes. When we set up the current lifetime, we as an essence, as a, a soul, we're looking at the last lifetime and maybe the last several lifetimes And probably we're seeing a pattern of some lessons that we weren't handling very well and thought, how could I set up a lifetime that would maybe finally um, clear up these issues, maybe uh, complete some karma that I have with someone, maybe to um, have certain types of learning monads with other people. And so... I find that on average, the current lifetime um, is dealing with about six previous lifetimes where there were common issues. And so those six past lifetimes will have especially high impact on the current lifetime. Now, there may be other lifetimes that were quite different and that are not on the theme of the current lifetime, and so those may have little impact on the current lifetime but you can go back to any of your past lives through regression and you can uh, see the things that are feeding into this lifetime that may be unresolved for you
0: yeah that that you know i am finding that that when people have issues that the, the lifetimes that that crop up that become apparent to me um, i'm not sure if they're the last six i've not actually looked at that aspect of it but I but you're absolutely right at least in my experience that they all have relevance to this lifetime and in many ways they often have tools that can be used to um to move through or 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 to even solve some of the issues that the person is facing this lifetime
1: and And, just to clarify I didn't mean they were the last six lifetimes they could have been six lifetimes spread over millennia but they okay. all they all involved unfinished business of a similar sort, and so you'll find that those past life selves are more likely to be, you might say, crowding around the current lifetime from the astral plane, uh, feeding into this lifetime, uh, looking for resolution of certain issues.
0: Well, karmic debt too would, would that apply there Ab- as well?
1: Absolutely absolutely
0: yeah sometimes people you know i don't understand why i'm with this person and and you know aside from the fact that you chose them um you know it's 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 often there is a a karmic debt there or a contract that has to be fulfilled from a past lifetime um so that so that it you know and i'm not saying somebody should suffer in, in an abusive relationship ever but sometimes if there is a struggle of sorts that it's, it it does have past lifetime karma connected to it so yes
1: yeah sometimes people who find that they're trying hard to leave an abusive relationship and they just can't bring themselves to do it are probably repaying a karmic debt and when the energy is fully balanced then they'll walk away and think why was this so hard to do? I mean, why was I with this jerk? What did I see in him? Once the energy has flatlined, you go, mm-hmm. I'm free of this now. But you just couldn't do it while the 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 karmic debt was still being repaid because it's very compelling.
0: Oh, yeah, I my um my my late husband and I met um gosh in our 60s and and there was a there was a an energetic that pulled he was in berkeley california i'm here in connecticut and it was it was just it was an amazing intense relationship and um he eventually after a year not, not not even a year moved out here moved in we got married and um we, we did a lot of spiritual work together. We wrote together. He came down with, um, stage four lung cancer and died. So in all, we were together for three years. And I tell, I I told many friends, I said, you know, it was so perfect. It was, it was just amazing. And yet I feel that he came out here to die and be cared for. And I, I am sure that that was a past life contract uh, of some sort, that, that, that I made sure that, 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 he had a peaceful passing. It's beautiful. It really was, you know, everybody goes, Oh, I'm so sorry. And you know, I I say, you know what? It was so intense. If he'd lived longer, I probably would have killed him. So
1: (laughs) 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 that would have been a different kind of karma.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That would have been a different kind of uh, role that I was in. And I don't see one that would apply to that, but, but yeah, no, it, 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 it was perfect the way it was and and uh hard for people to understand but but it was it was perfect the way it was and and for it to have been any other way could have been disastrous so it was perfect but and i I think that's things like we we often have things like that in our lives where where there is something compelling us and we can't explain it but we just know it has to be done this way or you have to do this at this particular point in time i feel that that spiritually speaking there is a force that that puts us in these situations if it's something that needs to be resolved right now and sometimes we just flow with it and sometimes we fight it and end up flowing anyhow so um you know it's kind of like if 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 there is something compelling and it's not against the law or your moral value system then you should go with the flow
1: yes and the source of that impulse is you it's your Uh own deeper self your own essence
0: Absolutely. And it's it's what I'm what I'm finding is that I'm running across things like this material, which so fascinate me, because, you know, you get to a point where you've been around for I've been in this field for over half a century now. And you know, you think, "Oh, I've seen just about everything." I don't, I don't necessarily adhere to everything, but I've seen it all. And then, of course, I find that you know, far from seeing it all, it's I've only scratched the surface. And, and you know, there's laughter on the other side as I as I go, "Oh, is, this is cool." Now I never thought of this stuff here, but but um, I think that that this material, in many ways, um, will will give people. I a a feeling of understanding um, the 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 single page reading of of giving them a better idea as to the skeletal framework that they brought into this lifetime to work from and to put experience on top of yes and and um, you know you 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 go into you know the essence and and want to explain to people what the essence is
1: um i believe you posted your michael chart on your site is that correct
0: i did if anybody wants to see my michael chart they can go to deb is going to put the um the link to the michael chart in um the chat room and for those of you that are listening in archive if you go to BarbaraDelong.com, and then the drop-down menu for about Barbara, you'll see that the Michael Re- the Michael chart is is right there, and you can click on it, and you can you can see what the Michael reading for me actually is.
1: Yes, I see it here. So um, those of you who are able to see the chart, you'll notice that the chart's divided into two parts: essence and overleaves. Essence is your soul. It is Everything under the term "essence" is true of you in every Earth lifetime as a human being. So none of this changes. Oh.. Okay. The second half overleaves are the personality traits that overlay your essence and are in this combination for this lifetime only. So those things will all change from lifetime to lifetime. If you ask me for a chart of you in a previous lifetime, I wouldn't have to do a thing to the top half, just the bottom half.
0: Now that's fascinating. I did not understand that. Um, so that so that what is, is basically your skeleton and the person the overleaves are are the personality for this lifetime, and that makes it. A- that makes a that makes it all a whole lot more clear. <laughs> yes, I, I did call you in confusion at one point too, because <laughs> even even in reading the book, um, you know it's 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 fascinating material, and and yet, um, you've used it for so long, you you probably feel very comfortable with it, and it it's all it's all brand new to me. It's almost like another language, and yet it makes a um a, a it makes profound sense to a great degree as well and um so but wait your essence has to evolve with you through time so so would would my my soul energy you know it's i i I really don't want to get into reading it till the till the next till the to the second hour but um Souls change and grow and shift and, and everything. So wouldn't you, um, wouldn't you evolve into other roles as you, as you go through the evolutionary process?
1: None of the um, items in the top half of your chart um, are better or worse. So mm-hmm. it's not better to have a higher frequency or a lower frequency. It's just your, the texture of your soul on a scale of one to a hundred. Just none of the roles are better than any other, just like none of the colors of the rainbow are better than another. It's just your color palette. Now, of course, the soul is evolving through the lifetimes. It's getting a lot of lessons and the overleaves will change, not because one overleaf is better than another, but because Uh, you need different tools to achieve uh, different uh, life lessons. Now, the bottom item on your chart is your soul age, and that does advance through the lifetime. So in your first lifetime on Earth, even though the top half of your chart doesn't change, your soul age is first-level infant. And you will be first-level infant for one lifetime or three lifetimes or however many it takes for you to complete the lessons of first-level infant. Then you're at second level, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and then you go back to first level of the next soul age, which is baby, and so Uh forth. So there Uh are 35 soul ages on the physical plane. So there is evolution. However, even with soul age, one soul age or level is not better than another. It's just a changing perspective, just as... It's not better to be 15 years old than it is to be 5 years old, but they are different.
0: Oh, yes it is.
1: They are evolving.
0: <laughs> yes. Um okay, so but but you have previous cycles too. So, yes. Would would cycle yes. psych- would would things change through those cycles or in other words
1: yes yes everything in a previous cycle everything on the chart would be different this is just pertains to you as a soul who's incarnating as a human being on planet earth so if you uh were a king soul on a planet where the life form looked like um giant birds then um Everything on this chart would be different, but at the very core of you, as an eternal spark of the Tao, there would be that same being.
0: Okay, I I, I got that. Um, it's 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 a fascinating thing. I highly I highly recommend you know everybody um, take a look at this. And and when we come back from break, which is going to be in I don't know. They, they throw breaks at us at different times, but it's at the top of the hour and we're kind of almost there. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to going through this with you because I, I, you know, I certainly have questions about a lot of the different areas. And, but it does give you a tremendous amount to think about. It, it gives you a tremendous amount of, of information to sort of help you to understand, um, I guess, your role here. On, uh, at this particular point in time, and how how you um, react to your reality, and and as as Shepherd said, um, you know, there's not one that's better than the others. It's just that this happens to be, you know, what you are right now, and that's what that's what you work with. It's not, you know, I you know, frankly, I'd rather be a queen than a king, but you know, that's just. <laughs> But 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 there are aspects, you know, as I read up on each of the different um, roles, there are aspects of some of them that I just really, really um, wouldn't want to resonate to. Because when you look at at kings and queens, in many ways, their roles are so determined that they don't have the flexibility some of the rest of us do.
1: Well, the seven soul types are our spiritual role, but it's not necessarily our material role. So you could be a scholar soul, but you could be working as a coal miner and you could be a king soul, but you could be uh, a secretary uh, at a corporation. You could Mm -hmm. be a warrior soul, but you could be a doctor. So um, the soul type tells us uh, the strengths that we bring to whatever our endeavors are, but it doesn't determine What we do, although it is true that each soul type is attracted to some areas more than others. So you will find a lot of warriors in law enforcement and in the military and in the business world. And you'll find a lot of artisans doing the crafts, such as plumbing and and, um, decorating, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing.
0: Okay, we're going to take a five-minute break, and we'll be right back, and we'll take a look at Barbara's chart. and we're back this is nightlight and if you like what you're hearing click over to the support page and make a donation to help us keep this amazing station up and running revolution radio at freedomslips.com is totally listener supported so from the owner to the host to the producers that we can't live without thank you deb to the staff all are working here Because we love the work and are dedicated to putting out quality material for all of you. Be it large or small, every donation is greatly appreciated and helps us all keep on supplying information and material to educate and enlighten you that isn't found anywhere else. Okay, Shepard, we are back. Hey. (laughs) Hope you're back too. Yes. Okay. Okay, so you kindly... Did uh, a Michael reading for me, and and um, as you explained to me that it, that it is channeled. So that how do you channel one of these one page readings that are fascinating?
1: Michael needs to have a way to tune in to the person whose chart they're dictating, and so what I do is I ask for a photograph of the person. Um, I also request birth information, but that isn't really essential, the full name. And once Michael can identify which soul that they're talking about, they look up the information in the Akashic record. Now, I have uh, a chart form in a database. I use Apple's FileMaker Pro. And so I have a form with bullet points and drop down menus and such that I created. And I simply go through the chart, and for example, there are seven roles, and so I go down the list, and when uh, I hit the one that is the correct one for the person whose chart I'm doing, then I get a surge of energy, or my head nods, or something like that.
0: Okay, but, where, just, just a, but you didn't have any of that on me, or well, I guess maybe there's a picture of me on my website, but that's, that's about right. all you had.
1: That's right, but we had also spoken on the phone, so I'm sure my guides were looking over my shoulder and taking note of of this is the soul that goes with that
0: name okay All righty so so
1: <clears throat>
0: this sounds so cool um <laughs> I, so so you you focus on on each of these areas and then where you get a get a an indication that's where you're you're mark goes so as far as roles go there are seven of them yes and they go from they go server priest artisan sage warrior king scholar not necessarily in that order it's not an order of ascendance it's it's you know it doesn't mean that the scholar is better than the server as you were saying they all have wonderful qualities and they are all it is the way that we are it's, it's the way that we are approaching the, evo- the evolutions on this planet at this time. Right. Yes,
1: for those of you listening who um, uh, are able to see uh, Barbara's Michael Reading chart at her website, uh, I would point out to you that on the chart format, the words inspiration, expression, action, and assimilation are at the top of both sections. And incidentally, um, if you go to barbara'delong.com and then uh, go under About Barbara, the last item is her Michael chart. So if you're not following along, you can do that. So um, let's talk about the four axes first because they are the foundation of the Michael chart. The four axes are four universal qualities. There's inspiration, which has to do with the inner world and correlates with emotions. There's expression, which brings what is in the inner world out into the outer world and correlates with intellect. Action is about the outer world. And assimilation steps apart from all of these and is neutral it provides a resource for the other three axes the first three axes are divided into ordinal and cardinal ordinal is uh, more like details and cardinal is big picture so on the inspiration axis we have two roles and the roles are the type of soul that you are server is ordinal dealing with the details of inspiration. And priest is cardinal, dealing with the big picture of inspiration. So servers inspire to the common good. Servers are souls who make sure that everyone's mundane needs are taken care of. In their positive side, they're kind, they're warm, they're nurturing, their eyes are warm and sweet, they're gentle souls, They uh, like to be behind the scenes. They don't have a need generally to be in the limelight. However, there are servers who are in the limelight, such as Queen Elizabeth and the Dalai Lama. So there's nothing to prevent any soul type from doing any particular job, but they will do it according to the nature of their essence role uh, style. Now, priests inspire according to the big picture. So priests want to help people find their spiritual purpose. They want to help people grow. They want to help them unblock and uh, feel uh, good about themselves, to be on their life path. So there's a lot fewer priests than servers because we need a lot more servers than we need priests. Each of the roles could be Uh, given as a proportion out of 28. So seven 28s, or one quarter of the population of Earth, and in fact any sentient planet, are server souls. Um, Two 28s, or about 8% of all souls, are priests. And they complement each other. Uh, Server is the number one position role, priest the number six, they add up to number seven. And you often find them in marriages, for example. Now, the two expression axis roles are artisan and sage. Artisan is the two position. Sage is the five position. Again, they add up to seven, and they often complement. I believe that Hillary Clinton is an artisan soul, and Bill Clinton is an obvious sage soul, and they add up to seven. So you often find that combination in marriages um artisans express into form and so hillary is kind of a policy wonk. she likes structure she likes intellectually understanding how things work uh, sages are more about uh, insight about ideas about the bigger picture of uh concepts as opposed to individual facts and um Uh, Sages account for about uh, 10% of the population, artisans about 22% of the population, because we need more artisans than sages. Artisans are the most creative of the soul types, sages are the most expressive and verbal of of the soul types. So you'll find a lot of artisans in the crafts, I mentioned people who repair things, uh, fine artists. Uh, musicians, singers, etc. Sages are uh, especially common in the performing arts and also often writers as well. The two action axis roles are warriors and kings. Warriors are ordinal, so they handle the details of action, they roll up their sleeves, they get things happening. Kings handle the big picture of action, so they direct others to act. Warriors are about 17% of the population. Kings are about 4% of the population. Kings, the number seven role. Warriors, the number three role. They do not add up to seven because king is already seven, but they are also often found in relationships. Scholar is the number four role, and that's four and three do make seven, and you often find warriors and scholars also in relationship with each other. Scholars are the most versatile of the roles. So you can find scholars doing just about anything, but you will find that whatever they do, they are doing it in an assimilative manner. It's like they're stepping back and taking notes in whatever they do. So those are the seven roles, and each of them has a positive and a negative pole. Barbara, you and I are both sage souls. The positive pole of sage is um, expression, which is true self-expression, and the negative pole is oration. That's where we talk too much, or we just do loud and noisy things to get attention from others without actually delivering real communication.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I can relate to that. Both parts of it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, none of us are always in our positive poles. And this is the great value of the Michael teachings. When you have your chart, you know what your positive and negative poles are. And when you fall into your negative poles, you have a word for it. And you can say, oh, yes, I'm now in this negative pole, and I'm going to consciously choose to be in my positive pole. Now, sages may sometimes be judged by others as uh, being too attention-demanding. But sages are the prime communicators of the seven roles. And if we don't have the attention of others, then we can't do our job. So it isn't just ego that makes a sage try to get the attention of others. It's that we need that to be who we are.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. When I moved my radio station from blog talk over to freedom slips my my main thing was with with blog talk I knew how many people were listening and how many people were archiving and I had some sense of you know whatever I had to say or share or whatever guest I had I knew I knew I I knew how how large the population was and I knew how many people were listening when I came over to um, freedom slips there there was initially no way of knowing if anybody was listening and it wasn't, it wasn't so much an ego thing that I wanted to know how many numbers there were as much as it was that I, it was important that, that someone was listening.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Why bother? Yeah, no, it, it, it,
0: it really was important that, someone and it, it, it just because actually when you put messages out there if you hit just one person you've done your job so it, it was just important for me to know that at least one person was listening other than Deb.
1: yes right sages seek insight above all else you'll notice if you go down the michael chart that the intellectual center is on the same expression axis as sage and artisan. And so um, sages seek insight, which is different from priests who seek inspiration, which is more of an emotional thing. So priests want to inspire people to the higher good. They want to light a fire in their heart. Sages want to explain things in a way that fires up their intellect, those insights that give you the ahas. Sages want to understand. We are the people who are always wanting to know why. We're, when we're little children, if you have a little kid who's always saying, but why? But why, Daddy? Why this? <laughs> Chances are it could be a sage or an artisan because mm-hmm. we want that intellectual gratification. And this is one reason I love the Michael material so much is that it explains why things are the way they are, unlike anything that I've ever run into before.
0: Terrific.
1: Okay. Now, your essence twin is your twin soul or your twin flame. This is not, in Michael's terms, the other half of you. This is another soul that you team up with at the beginning. It may feel like the other half of you, but in fact, uh, it is a distinct soul separate from you. Five percent of the population does not have an essence twin. It is experiencing being on Earth. Without that, but when you have an essence twin, this is a soul who most reflects you back to yourself. It's the mirror of you. And it's the reason you partner with your twin soul is to give you uh, internal growth. Whereas you have another soul that's farther down on the chart who's your task companion. And this is a soul where you do outer projects together. So there's an inward-looking soulmate and there's an outward-looking soulmate. The essence twin relationship is the most intense relationship that you can have with another soul. It's very, very intimate. But you're only together on the physical plane from 10 to 30% of your lifetimes because it is such a demanding relationship. When your essence twin is discarnate, meaning not in a body while you are, which is the case with you, then this soul is almost living within you. And you get bleed through or secondary traits from this soul. Your essence twin is an artisan soul who's discarnate. And so you have uh, very strong secondary traits of the role of artisan. You also, the third item on the chart is your cadence position. And you are in a number two cadence position, which gives you artisan flavoring. So we are calling you an honorary artisan because that secondary shows up on your chart Um, in two places. It's doubled. And so you also have a lot of traits of the role of artisan. Artisan is a positive pull of creation. Again, the most creative of the roles. Negative pull of artifice, which means phony creations, which means um, someone who uh, loses touch with reality, um, who's uh, just kind of in their own world and it's not relating to the world as it is, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. artisans uh, sages tend to be charming and artisans tend to be adorable (laughs) a lot of sex symbols are artisans think of people like brad pitt and marilyn monroe Uh, a lot of uh, movie stars like uh, george clooney are sages again it's the expression axis it's about communication it's about creativity it's about bringing what is within out in some way or another So you mentioned to me that you do have a lot of artisan traits that you, for example, do crafts and such.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I developed a a deck of cards called the Cosmic Deck of Initiation that are hand-painted mandalas. That is an oracle deck that helps to to take people into more spiritual, philosophical aspects of life.
1: Yes. So the painting of those mandalas is an artisan uh, expression. The very fact of communicating through the deck is a sage thing. Having your own radio show is a sage thing uh, because it gives you an audience uh, to communicate with.
0: Yes, it gives me a soapbox. It's really so cool.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. So um, the third line of your chart has three numbers there, your cadence position, your cadence, and your greater cadence. Each of us is in a group of seven souls called a cadence, and your position within that cadence tells you how you tend to manifest your uh, soul energies, in your case, your sage and artisan energies, and you tend to put them first and foremost into the artisan domain, And so you do your sage communicating and your artisan creating in the artisan domain. The artisan domain is art, craft, beauty, form, structure, design, architecture, uh, anything like that, Uh, fixing things. Artisan uh, babies are the ones who not only take things apart but are able to figure out how to put them back together. They just have a sense of how things work. So you are in the artisan position of your cadence. The cadence, that group of seven, in turn is in a group of seven cadences called a greater cadence. And your, greater, uh, your cadence is third in its greater cadence, and three is the warrior number. And so secondarily, you manifest your sage and artisan energies into the warrior domain, which is business, law enforcement, etc., And so this, although it's not a huge part of your chart, um, it does tend to stand out about you to people that are close to you, to your friends and family. And so people close to you will tend to notice your warrior traits, that you're organized or practical, that you can bring your communication down into a form that other people can understand that's usable.
0: True, I think. (laughs) <laughs> you hope. Yeah, Deb would have to say something on that one. I you know, hard to hard to know how you're perceived by other people.
1: Artisans can be flaky and so can sages, but especially artisans. The reason for this, something I haven't brought up yet, but is fascinating, is that each of the seven soul types have anywhere from one to five psychic inputs. You know how if you had a, a stereo, it would have various uh, jacks in the back, and you could un- you could plug into the uh, receiver, your cassette deck, your phonograph, your phone, um, your speakers, etc. Those are inputs, uh-huh. and we each have psychic inputs, and every soul has at least one psychic input for receiving. What is happening in current reality? In other words, what's going on in the world right now Mm
0: -hmm.
1: around you? That's one. We all have one. Warriors, kings, and scholars only have the one. Servers and priests have two. Servers have a second input for the common good, as they perceive it, and priests have a second input for the higher good. Then you get to sages, and you've got three inputs. And so we receive not only the current reality, but we have two other inputs. So let's say you're uh, performing on stage in a play. One of your inputs can be attuned to your audience and another can be attuned to your fellow actors. And the third can be you know, remembering your lines. And so having three inputs makes sages excellent performers who are able to handle that whereas let's say uh, a warrior performing with one input could easily get blown, blow a fuse from having uh, a lot of different things coming at them at once they're definitely one at a time types of people artisans have five inputs and that can be confusing to deal with and that's why artisans have a reputation for being rather spacey they can literally tune in to five things at the same time. But then that dilutes how much of their attention is in current reality. So uh, let's say an artisan is painting a painting. They are tuning into a lot of different things because creativity is breaking down the raw materials of a lot of different things and putting them together in new ways. And that's why artisans are the most creative of the roles. Now, the fact that you have secondary warrior casting, again, it's not a big deal, but it's a, a little bit that makes you a little more grounded than this uh, combination of sage and artisan would uh, otherwise be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, your greater cadence, your group of seven, sevens, or forty nine, is sixth in its string of greater cadences of sages. Now, this is the weakest influence out of the three, but I put it on the chart just in case it reinforces something else on the chart, then I want to know that. In your case, it does not, uh, but it, it's a six, and it resonates with the role of priest. And, of course, you are very spiritual, not only because of this priest casting, but because you're also a fourth-level old soul, which we'll hopefully talk about uh, later.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Now, the next line is your cadre and entity. These six greater cadences of sages are joined with greater cadences of some or all the other roles into a group of around a 1,000, and that's called an entity. And everyone in your entity is in your spiritual family. Uh, So if you meet someone in your entity, uh, you may feel right away that you already know this person. Celebrities that I've channeled as being In Your Entity include the composer, Bella Bartok, the actress, Emily Blunt, uh, the uh, jazz musician, Dizzy Gillespie, uh, the composer, Scott Joplin, uh, David Poe, who uh, was a uh, tech columnist for the New York Times and now for Yahoo, uh, the musician Prince, the Supreme Court Chief Justice, John Roberts, uh, Nikola Tesla. And Mark Twain. So you have some illustrious company there in your soul family.
0: Most I told of them you- dead, too. What's that? Most of them dead.
1: Oh, well, I mean, these are the celebrities that people have asked about. So
0: okay. they were
1: curious <laughs> and they happened to come up and there's certainly a lot more that haven't been channeled. Um, We said at the beginning that Michael is the name of one of these recombined entities. And so that's what we're talking about here, this group of around a thousand souls. This is the entity. Seven of those then join together to make a cadre. And people in other entities of your cadre are like your first cousins. And then 12 cadres make a cadre group and people in other cadres of your cadre group are like your second cousins, and I'm in another cadre of your cadre group, so we're cousins. Cool. And it just, it just keeps going on and on like this. We are one with everything. There is not anything in the universe we're not connected to, but we get the nuts and bolts in the Michael teachings that shows us that we're closer with some souls than with others. Mm-hmm. And so this is, can explain why we feel closer to some people than to others. It says next to your uh, entity number, 87, that you have a love orientation. The universe is made of three primary forces. There's love, which correlates with emotion. There's truth, which correlates with intellect. And there's beauty, which correlates with the physicality or pure energy. And each of us is either oriented in one of these things or in a combination of two. And you have a love orientation. And so your specialty as a soul is the love force. And that probably makes you more nurturing, uh, more forgiving than people with, say, a truth orientation, who might be more demanding that the facts be correct. Or someone with a beauty orientation might have a greater resonance with their physicality. Mm -hmm. We already talked about your task companion, who is another soul that you team up with to help you with your life task. This is a a discarnate sage. And so uh, when you're working on your life task, you get an extra dose of saginess. (laughs) Okay. Male-female energy in the Michael system is not necessarily about what we think of as masculinity and femininity part of that is cultural part of that is uh, your role so for example warriors and kings are seen as being more masculine roles servers and artisans are seen as being more feminine roles sages are kind of in the middle on that what we mean by male energy in the michael teachings is energy that is directed toward a goal Female energy is energy that is not directed, and so it is atmospheric. When you're in a male body, you tend to emphasize whatever male energy you have as a soul. The fact that you have 55% male energy and 45% female energy uh, tells us that you're fairly balanced in your male-female energy ratio, but it's possible that you have been in male bodies more often than female. Again, you're pretty close to being balanced. Uh You will be attracted to partners um, who have the opposite of that. So someone with a ratio of 45-55 would be your perfect complement in that regard, but anyone in the middle range would work for you in that regard. So male energy uh, is like, the 1950s version of what the husband should be like. They leave the house in a straight line. It's linear. They leave the house, they go to work, they work eight hours, they come home in a straight line, they're done. Female energy is like the 1950s version of the the ideal wife who is doing a little of this and a little of that. She's making the meals, she's cleaning the house, she's going shopping, she's picking up the dry cleaning So it's not so goal-oriented. Souls who have very high male energy uh, can tend to be workaholics. They just tend to want to hammer away at one thing all the time. People with higher female energy tend to um, be putters. They don't tend to be sort of driven about one thing. Your frequency is 37. Uh, that is um, fairly low. It's sort of the lower end of the middle range. It's on a scale of one to a hundred. It tells how fast you vibrate as an individual on a scale of one to a hundred. Sage is a middle frequency role. Warriors, kings, and scholars are low frequency as roles. Artisans, Priests are high-frequency roles. They're just naturally visionary and kind of dreamy. Servers are also middle-frequency. So you have the frequency of your role, but you also have the frequency of you as an individual. And so what this means is that uh, you tend to process your life experiences uh, a little more slowly than the average person. Whereas a high-frequency person might tend to buzz through every experience, like the, um, like the poets who live a very intense life and die young. That sort of archetype is high-frequency. Low-frequency tends to process things in a more gradual, more thorough way. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, it's not good or bad. It's just your style, the way that you're doing Earth. You have had 13 previous cycles, which means that you, as an eternal spark of the Tao, before you were a sage with this chart, you have been on 13 other planets. And every time you do this whole cycle from the Tao into the physical plane, uh, then through all the higher planes of that planet and back to the Tao, that's called a grand cycle. Every time you do one of those, you're gaining experience. You're gaining more layers, more capacity for subtlety and nuance. The average human on earth has had four previous cycles. So at 13, you have more than three times the average. The highest number of previous cycles we know anyone has had on earth is 19. For example, the man Jesus had had 19 previous cycles. Having more complexity... um, Uh, can make you uh, more advanced, but it can also make you a big mess because you have more things that can get messed up. So it just depends on the individual, how you've used it. And again, one thing is not better than another on a Michael chart. Mm -hmm. But people who have a lot of complexity and who have refined that, who are living more in their positive poles, have some extra levels of functionality that they're able to bring to the game of life.
0: Gotcha. Fascinating. So I may have been a green blob at one time.
1: Or... <laughs> right. Yes. How cool
0: the, is that?
1: The life forms that can house sentient beings such as ourselves are endless. It is just extraordinary. Uh, the life forms could be other humanoids. They could uh, look like any of the animals that we know. They could look like giant blobs. They could look like gaseous bubbles. They could look like things that we couldn't even recognize as being alive. They could look like rocks. But what they have in common is that their structure allows them to function in a purely intellectual way. There has to be some way that that life form can hold pure thought. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have that capacity, then sentient souls will not incarnate in them. So if there is a planet where the life form is feline, that brain will have to be more advanced than the felines that we have here on Earth in order to accommodate the complexity. Now, there's still a problem because we have people on Earth with no previous cycles are relatively quite simple although they're still more complex than say the life form animating animals but then we also have people with 19 previous cycles and so we have this life form that's sort of a compromise to try to accommodate everyone that's here and we have um Some people who are overwhelmed by their life form, they can't handle that much complexity because they're such simple souls. And then there are very complex souls who are complaining because the mind just won't do what it wants to do. But you do see these extraordinary people from time to time, like Einstein or people who can remember everything, they have a photographic memory or have these extraordinary artistic gifts, they are probably bringing more complexity to the game.
0: Gotcha. So we've talked
1: about your essence. Yep. And now we're going to talk about your personality or overleaves. And they're called overleaves because they overlay your essence. Okay. There are nine needs. And your top three are expansion, which means you have a need in order to fulfill your life task to expand things, to grow things. It could be growing a garden. It could be growing your radio show. It could be growing a collection of pet rocks, whatever you, you know, whatever you are interested in. But your life task requires that you grow things, that you expand You have a second need of expression, which fits right in with the fact that you're already a sage artisan. You you must be able to express yourself in this lifetime, or you cannot complete your life task. And thirdly, out of nine, you have a power need, which is you need to have a certain amount of control over your environment. You are in love position of your life quadrant. And this doesn't mean exactly what you would think it would mean. It means that when people get together, people tend to fall into one of four jobs. The love position person, which I also am, is the initiator. It's the person who gets the idea. For example, hey, everyone, let's go to a movie. The knowledge position person who who tends to say, oh, I know where a good movie is playing and how to get there. I'll provide the information. The power person says, okay, come on, everyone. Let's get moving here. Let's uh, get in the car and I'll drive. That powers the group. And then the support person will say, I'll get popcorn for everyone." So you're the initiator. Probably the most important of the overleaves is your goal. The goal is how you set up your life. It's what motivates you through the life. You have a goal of flow, which means that you have a goal of not having a goal. It's the neutral goal. The goal is... You w- want to learn how to flow and let things happen. You want to learn to let go and let God. And when you do this, your life works beautifully. And when you don't, it gets really screwed up. And you've probably found this over and over and over with this goal. Is that correct?
0: Oh, yeah. I talk about it. when I decide to drive, I always hit the wall.
1: Yes. Yeah. Now, your spiritual teacher, if you are teaching everyone, Uh, You have to always go with the flow. Well, no, that is not going to work for everyone like it works for you. Because if you have a goal of growth, that means you're creating a life full of challenges that you have to work your ass off to overcome. People with a goal of growth tend to make themselves very busy. They're always going to a new class, a new job, a new language. They're uh, discovering a new cuisine, a new part of town, a new skill. They keep themselves busy to grow. They're always looking for new challenges. And if they work hard, they can overcome them, which doesn't work so well for a person with flow. I have a goal of acceptance, which means that my life is set up with a lot of things that I can't change. And even if I go with the flow, I can't change them. So I have to learn how to accept what is. I have to make peace with the things that I cannot change. So the different goals shape the lives very differently. There's a goal of reevaluation where people are seeking quietude so they can process past lives. There's a goal of discrimination where people are learning how to say no, learning how to discern the best things and what they don't want. There's the goal of submission where they're learning how to follow and the goal of dominance where they're learning how to lead. So each of these may be subtle in your life, but they determine what kind of life you're going to have this time. Gotcha. Your attitude is spiritualist. It's how you look at the world. The spiritualist is on the inspiration axis. It's on the cardinal side, so it's the big picture. You look at things in a big picture, inspirational way, which is sort of a priest-like way because priest is in the same place on the chart. It's just the cardinal side of the inspiration axis. Mm-hmm. Spiritualist is a positive pole of verification and a negative pole of faith or blind faith, which means that when you're a spiritualist, you look at everything and you say, anything's possible. You could do this and you could do that and you could do the other thing. And it's just all wonderful. You see all the way to the horizon and there's this beautiful sunset and it's all great. But you have to verify that indeed what you're seeing is practical and possible, because if you don't, you can get into trouble with that. Yep. The, uh, by the way, with flow, the positive pole is suspension, which means you're carried like in an uplifted way, you're carried along by the flow. The negative pole is actually the opposite of that inertia where you get stuck like a rock at the bottom of the, li- the river rather than flowing on top of the river. The mode is how you run your energy. It's how you achieve your goal. You are in observation mode, along with uh, 50% of the world's population. The reason so many of us are in observation is because, for one thing, it lets you temporarily move to any of the other modes. We call this sliding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also it's a good way to go through life is by observing. You learn a lot through observing. The positive pole is clarity, you see clearly. The negative pole is surveillance, and that's where we don't mind our own business. Mm -hmm. Some people are in passion mode, where they pull out all the stops. They have to be 100% passionate or they can't do something. Their opposite is reserve mode, which is where they try to control the flow of energy in the most beautiful, graceful way, like a ballet dancer. Some people are cautious. Some people are powerful. Some people are persevering and some people are aggressive.
0: Fascinating.
1: The center is how uh, you react to stimulation. We all have seven centers. We all have an emotional center and a higher emotional center. A higher emotional center would be the more exalted or big picture emotions. We all have an intellectual center and a higher intellectual center We all have a physical center and a moving center, and we all have an instinctive center. Four out of those seven could be the center that we use as an overleaf as our primary way of reacting when things happen. So people either react first with their emotions, as you do, or they react first with their intellect, as I do. They analyze first when something happens. Or they react with their body, either by moving in a big way, Or by having physical sensations in like a cellular way. You are in the emotional center and then there are seven parts of each center, which takes you into a different center. Uh You are in the moving part of your emotional center, which means you tend to act on your emotions. So if you feel something, you can give it form. So let's say you were uh, a dancer. If you have the ability to act on your emotions, then it's very easy for you to move in a way that expresses what you're feeling, and it can make something beautiful out of that. A negative manifestation of this particular combination is you can be impulsive, because you act on your emotions often without intellectual processing first. And sometimes we need to consider the facts before we, we act. So, for example... Um, You know, you're shopping and you see a handbag that costs $800 and it's just so beautiful and you love it and you have to have it. You act on your emotion, you buy it, and then you get home and you think, you know what, I really couldn't afford that. And you have to take it back. So that's the thing to watch out for is make sure that when it's called for, you also process the information intellectually and consider
0: things. Right. Working on it. (laughs)
1: Um, We each have a chief obstacle, and most of us have a secondary, uh, and in fact, uh, as human beings, we probably do at least a little bit of all seven of these, the seven deadly sins, but um, one tends to be the real uh, block uh, that tends to come up, and by recognizing it in action, we call that photographing it, we can evolve more quickly. Your obstacle is called arrogance, which is defined as a fear of being judged by others and being found wanting. And often that is chosen uh, because in childhood or in past lives, uh, parents or other adult figures were excessively critical. And we started to feel self-protective, like if I'm getting criticized, uh, I'm going to die. And so you develop these strategies for surviving uh, where you put a layer of self protection around you to try to prevent others from judging you. But often it backfires and it doesn't work. Now, some people do arrogance by judging others um, before they get a chance to judge them and they look stereotypically arrogant. But what older souls tend to do is they tend to be very hard on themselves. They judge themselves and they think, if I can just somehow be perfect and not make mistakes, then others won't have a chance to judge me. It can also uh, develop shyness, which is very painful for sages who need to be out there communicating. But the shyness comes from, I'm going to hide so that people don't judge me. So again, if you can photograph it in action, you can start to reduce it. And that's one of the great uh, life lessons for each of us is reducing uh, the uh, impact of our chief obstacle.
0: Absolutely.
1: Body type is one of the most interesting parts of the Michael teachings. Uh, we each have two to four body type influences. In addition to the seven listed here, there are three that are uh, only going to be very minor and this is where your astrology chart will tend to show up the most on your Michael chart. You have a combination of Saturnian and Marshall. Both of these are active body types. So you have a body that wants to move, and therefore you can be restless at times. So getting plenty of exercise is really important with this body type. Um, a Saturnian has a prominent bone structure. And uh, tends to be uh, strong, enduring. Um, it's a good leadership sort of body. It's a body that tends to be either tall or it looks taller than it actually is if the person is petite.
0: Yes, I have a very tall aura.
1: <laughs> yes. Now, Mars uh, is also uh, active and it's also masculine. In other words, from both of these body types, energy moves out from your body. Mm-hmm. Um, but whereas Saturnian is positive charge, in other words, it tends to be more of an optimistic body. Marshall is a negative charge, and so it tends to look on the dark side more. Since you combine these two traits, you're going to be somewhere in the middle there. You have body type attraction. In other words, you form an electrical circuit with the opposite. Saturn is attracted to lunar. So Saturn is masculine, lunar is feminine. Saturn is active, lunar is passive. Saturn is uh, positive, lunar is negative. And so if you're in a sexual romantic relationship with a lunar, you form an electrical circuit, and that's called body type attraction. Your secondary also forms uh, a circuit with its opposite and Mars' is opposite, Venus. And so whereas Mars is negative, Venus is positive. Mars is masculine, Venus is feminine, etc. And so you would have maximum body type attraction with a man who has lunar as his primary and Venusian as a second term. And that's going to be kind of a nerdy teddy bearish type of man.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: We talked a little bit about soul age in the earlier hour And uh, I mentioned how infant souls uh, are what we start out with at the beginning. Infant souls are having lessons about survival, just like a newborn infant is. Baby souls are like toddlers. They're having lessons about uh, learning how to work within a societal structure. And many fundamentalists of all religions are baby souls because they need a simple framework to work uh, inside of. They can't handle a lot of complexity because they're still fairly new to the planet. And so, when you see a lot of uh, people in politics who seem to have a very simplistic way of looking at the world, there's a chance that they're either baby souls or they're functioning at a baby soul level, even if they're not. And knowing that can help you to be more understanding that um, they tend to follow the rules of their organization. And they can't veer from that very well because they're just, they're babies. You know, they're, as souls, they're not ready to really think for themselves all that much. Uh, Then we become young souls. And young souls are people um, that have as their lessons how to uh, change the outer world, how to be successful in the outer world. And so the majority of the captains of industry, the most rich and famous and successful people in all walks of life tend to be young souls, and the average earthling is a late-level young soul. Donald Trump is a young soul. Uh, Bill Clinton is a young soul. Uh, John Kennedy was a young soul. Um, on the other hand, Bernie Sanders is an old soul, so you can't you know, generalize too much. Mm-hmm. But young souls are motivated to be success- successful for success's own sake because they need to learn how to make the world work. And so success is a valuable lesson for them where it's not such a valuable lesson for an old soul. Now, then uh, after mastering the outer world, the mature soul starts working with the inner world, starts to go deep and focusing on relationships.
0: Shepard. Yes. (laughs) We are out of time, but I want to thank you so much. This has been beautiful And I highly encourage everybody to get one of these readings because they are amazing.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. Radio at Freedomflips.com. We'll be right back after this message. This is Barbara DeLong, host of Nightlight Radio, inviting you to join me on a cosmic journey, exploring a metaphysical montage of spiritual material, covering everything from the mundane to the magical. UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between, including spiritual readings for those who seek enlightenment. Let nightlight provides you with equal measure of light, love, and laughter, insight, wisdom, and inspiration. Monday nights, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern, right here on Studio B, Revolution Radio, at freedomslips.com.